Once you start going on the purpose journey, it's one way. You don't suddenly regress. Once you go down this path, it's one way street. And COVID has led everyone from business leaders to employees, to customers, investors, supply chain. They're all suddenly going, hang on a minute. How can we be slightly better? Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. Today, we're introducing you to a wonderful thought leader who will help restore your faith in humanity and where we're going. I don't want to give away too much right now. In any case, what we're going to do is turn you on to a whole world where you can feel like when you spend your money, you can do good in the world at the same time. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress happening in the business world right now that almost no one knows about. And today we're going to talk to a wonderful thought leader in that world named Tim Jones. So Tim is the grow good guy. He's a specialist in helping people embed purpose into their businesses at the very beginning, like from the outset, and then navigate this whole world called B Corps. It's a framework I'd like to describe as something between the .orgs of the world and the straight up business just to please shareholders world. B Corps, I know it sounds like this could be a boring topic, but I promise you it's not going to (laughs) be. Just by the uh, way that Tim Jones radiates good humor and sort of a great way of teaching us about a world that is possible for the future. In fact, Tim thinks that the way the B Corp status is growing and the trustworthiness of this new system could be the future of all business. So welcome, Tim. Hello. Thank you for having me. Or I should say Kiora, as we would say in New Zealand, which is where I'm currently based. Um, but I'm originally Welsh and I'll throw a Shemai as well, or a Borada, which is hello in Welsh. So there you go. You're learning from, from the outset. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> I, this is the way this podcast goes. <laughs> Last week it was kindness. This week it's let's get to the business of the future because we all are a part of something I think I'm calling the gratitude economy. And when I say that, I mean that in my work at the Goodness Exchange, we've written about thousands of innovators who are fundamentally changing the future for us all. And as I mentioned in the outset, almost no one knows about this wave of goodness and progress because it's just not rising to the top of the news or the internet. But you're in the thick of it, Tim. And uh, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) That feels like it at the minute. (laughs) (laughs) And it, it is such a bright and positive future for business. And the reason why I'm referring to your work as the leading edge of this gratitude economy is that I'm noticing, and you can speak to this if you'd like or if you disagree, but I'm noticing that more and more consumers, in fact, I looked it up, there's a really well published study done where 69% of us now identify as values driven consumers, meaning we want to spend our money with people who share our values and are, are trying to make the world a better place. So the way I hope this conversation goes is you'll just get us more and more excited about this trend in business that many people I know, I've been asking around lately, many people don't know much about, and it's called the B Corp world. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your background, about how you got here, and then share with us, then we can start this conversation of sharing all that we should know and help make our consumer choices even more impactful. We can totally do that. So I guess putting my, I guess my sort of life story into a couple of minutes to give you the background as to how I found B Corp. So originally from the UK, I ended up in New Zealand in 2004. And for 10 years, I used to sell medical devices. So I worked for, I started out on the graduate training program for Johnson & Johnson, selling hips and knees in the UK, moved to New Zealand. I then ended up selling spinal instruments and implants to orthopedic and neurosurgeons for about 10 years, worked for a range of multinational and then regional companies. And the reason why that's relevant, well, there's two, there's quite a few parts to it. If you haven't seen the documentary, it was on Netflix. It might not be on there anymore, but you should be able to find it um, on the internet. It's called The Bleeding Edge. And it's basically a massive expose of the corruption and nefarious behavior of the medical device industry. Now, we we kind of all know that the pharmaceutical industry, you know, has had its bad moments, but the medical device industry is twice as big and twice as well unknown in terms of its activity and what it does. 
So I was working for these multinational companies and it became pretty obvious globally that there was a lot of corruption happening at the, the surgical level. So surgeons were taking backhanders and bribes from companies to use their products. Um, the US Department of Justice subpoenaed every major med medical device company globally to, to get to the bottom of that. There was bad stuff happening here in New Zealand where surgeons were, were sort of taking money in the private practice sector and squirreling that away. There were products being designed and, and released into the market that were too, you know, that, that hadn't been fully tested and were killing people. And I was a part of this bubble for 10 years. And when you're young and in your 20s as a male, you know, and it's about money. And I used to get to go to Sun Valley, Idaho every year for a conference. I get to go to Davos in Switzerland every year for a conference. You kind of, it's easy to be to be taught and shown to turn a blind eye to some of this stuff. Right. Anyway, 2010, 2011, here in Christchurch, New Zealand, we had some massive earthquakes. They, I think they made the news in the US. So that for me was the beginning of the end of that journey in that I had essentially a near-death experience. 2012, my daughter was born, another massive life-changing experience. And, and collectively, those two experiences led me to have what's called a subconscious awakening. So basically, you realize that the whole thing is a charade or a charade. And you know what, what is it all about? And it's not uncommon that people have that kind of life-altering experience or experiences, which lead them to think about what they're doing. So I quit the medical industry. I then got into a leadership position for a firm of surveyors and engineers, really, really random, but I wanted to get out of medical. I wanted to get into a leadership role. I did that. And I quickly realized that I kind of thought the medical device world was full of corruption and all about making money. And then I got into working with commercial property developers and I realized, oh my word, there's an even worse group when it comes to just wanting to make money and destroy the planet and, and humanity. And so I had this, I had another existential crisis of like, I've got another maybe, you know, 40 or 50 years of working for these companies, which just about making money and who cares about the, the people or the planet around it. And yeah, that, I, I really hit some almost depressive states where it's like, is, is this as good as it's going to be? And that, as well as there being some cultural issues within the company I was working for, this, this engineering um, surveying firm, I started just Googling, like, just how do we fix stuff? And I was mainly looking to fix the culture in the company that I was working for. And on that journey, I stumbled across this thing called B Corporation. And I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. This is at the time, it might've been about 1800 or 2000 businesses. This would have been 2014. Yeah. 2014. There was like these handful of businesses around the world who had stepped up to say, Hey, the way we're running the show is not working for people on planet. And we want to do things differently. And it was like, I'd found my tribe. It was like, Oh my word. There's a group of people who've, who've had the same experiences. They're like, I might be crazy, but there's 2000 other people that are equally crazy as me. Hallelujah. Let's go. And so I literally just thought, well, I, maybe we could, this company I was working for, maybe we could be the first B Corp in New Zealand. So I had, I had a quick look and I was like, damn it, there's two B Corps here in New Zealand already. I was like, okay, maybe we could be the first in the South Island. For those of you that don't know New Zealand, we're, we're, it's actually made of three islands. They've got the, the North Island, the South Island and Stewart Island. It's the main islands. You've also got the Chatham Islands, but that's a whole different thing. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe we could be the first in the South Island of New Zealand. And I was like, damn it, there's already a B Corp in Christchurch. So I emailed the, the CEO and said, hey, look, I've just stumbled across this thing called B Corp. I see that you're a B Corp. Could I come and have a, a cup of tea with you and just have a chat and see what it's all about? And so Steve Arder, who's the CEO of um, Eagle Protect, they were New Zealand's first B Corporation. He was like, yeah, sure. Come and, have a, come and have a cup of tea. And so we booked in like a 45 minute meeting and I left his office about two and a half or three hours later with my mind just exploded. I was like, oh my word, like, this is what I've been looking for. And so that's how I came across B Corp. And for the first probably... 18 months, I was just a massive B Corp groupie. So Steve was was big at trying to build the community. He would run events. They would do movie nights. They would have open nights where they just get people to come to their, you know, their sort of warehouse facility and, and head office facility. And I was like, just sign me up. I'm happy to come along. I'll hand out drinks, like whatever. Just let me know. Then that ultimately led me, I, I left the um, the engineering firm and started working for a company as a trainer and, and coach doing sales training. And I tried to pitch B Corp to them, but you know, there were two B Corps in New Zealand at the time. And they were just like, what, what is this thing? Like, no, not just, it's not going to be on our radar. And so, yeah, with, with getting more involved in the B Corp movement and trying to get the companies I was working for to become a B Corp and getting the resistance, ultimately late 2015, I got made redundant from the training company. And I kind of thought, well, I'm telling everyone else they should be a B Corp. Maybe this is the sign from the universe that I should start my own B Corp and give it a go. And here we are. <laughs> it kind of worked out. So that's the creation myth story of Grow Good. All right. All right. So... <laughs> Now we know that life is just a giant journey. And could you go missing one single minute of those experiences and still be where you are today? I don't think so. 
I, I've now, been asked this question a few times on, on podcast interviews, you know, if you could go back and tell your 20 year old self something to change, it's like, it's, it's, it's like, if you go, go, you know, we all know those movies. If you go back in time and assassinate some bad world leader like Hitler or something that you don't want to, you, you don't know what's going to unfold. And I love where I'm at right now. I love the work I'm doing, or as, as we'd say, I'll drop as many um, Maori phrases as I can. Work in New Zealand in Maori is called mahi. So I love the mahi that I'm doing right now. It's super cool. Yeah, I, I don't think you can change the journey because if you change the journey, you wouldn't be who you are today. So. Absolutely. And that's my point for asking you that is just, we talk a lot about finding what you're uniquely built to contribute here at the Goodness Exchange. I mean, that's, the, that's our role as humans. And I think it's part of this great resignation, the great reset that you hear in the I news. I and so I just wanted to, that's quite an extraordinary journey. And almost every thought leader I talk to has some version of a wild roller coaster ride like you just described. It's the Joseph Campbell, you know, the man of a thousand faces hero's journey. You know, you have to go. And, and this is just, you know, getting, I guess, getting distracted or sidetracked the purpose stuff. This, this is the thing that's the most important part of the B Corp journey. It's if you try and define purpose on the individual level, it took me six years to try and work out like, well, if you try and nail purpose to the wall, like it's really hard. I've often described it as trying to describe the taste and smell of the number three. It's like, if you ask accountants, they say strawberry because um, they know they love numbers. Um, but it's, it's, really hard to try and pin it down. But if you go back to first principles and just look in the dictionary, the dictionary describes purpose as something's reason for being and something use or usefulness. And this is the, the key for humanity and for humans. And this is why we're having this great resignation and people going on this journey is because most people have been set on a life path that is not their choosing. It's the choosing of their parents, their peers, their society. You know, one of the phrases I love asking people is, what is it that someone like you should be doing based on your socioeconomic status, your schooling, the state that you're from, the country that you're from, there are predetermined paths that you get sent on. And a lot of people have this midlife crisis where they have that existential hit, either a loved one, you know, a parent passes away. I mean, you've just been through this experience. Um, you know, there's some kind of external event that, that stops you and makes you go, hang on a minute, what am I actually doing? And I think we're seeing that. I think COVID has been that that sort of that event that is a lot of people have been sat at home going, well, actually, I feel better that I'm not in the office. And it turns out I didn't really like my job or my colleagues or the product anyway. Hmm. Now what? <laughs> oh, and is the now what that we're, we're finding we're able to talk about almost every week on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. So now what in this interview is we have to define, just let's tell people, give me, define B Corp for gosh sakes. We've been talking yeah, for yeah. 13 minutes. <laughs> And we haven't got to B Corp yet. How cool is this? Um, so B Corporation, it's a certification tool, a certification framework. And the certification is basically third-party independent verification of your transparency and accountability around your social and environmental footprint. That's the, the best way to describe it. It's basically you being able to be independently proven that you are a really good business that has got people and planet at the heart of its operation, as well as balancing that against making some money. So to be a B Corp, you have to be currently, you have to be a for-profit business. So it's all about helping for-profit businesses better understand the contribution that they're making operationally. So through their day-to-day -day activities. All right. So, and that, that is empowering to me because I think for gosh, how many years we thought like so many problems in this world, we think it's either black or white. You're either making money or you're just finding a way to get grants to pay for everything you do. And you're trying to make the world better. <laughs> yep. Exactly. I mean, that. And, and, we yeah. are not a dot org. The goodness exchange is not a dot org because I started this thing and, and continue to support it largely on my own. So I don't end up with any agenda or somebody else's advertising agenda or all the things. Yep. And, and I literally couldn't afford to be a dot org. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. you have to have all these army of people running around chasing grants. Yeah, just to survive. Okay. Yeah, and that would have taken away from anything that I might have done to to physically point to this wave of goodness and progress. Totally. So this is why I'm excited about B Corps and why I, I really think it's something that your average consumer needs to know about and celebrate and look for when they're doing business. Because are you telling me that you can actually worry about putting bread on the table for your employees and still make the world a better place? What a crazy idea. It might just catch on, but yes, you can. And, and this is the thing, like this is sort of almost like the great irony is businesses that have been doing that do really well. <laughs> you know, the whole conscious capitalism movement, is it Raj Sodia? You know, his book, there's overwhelming evidence that the businesses that are, that are clearly able to demonstrate the, co the positive contribution that they're making to society and or planet outperform. 
So this is why for me, the B Corp argument is a slam dunk argument. If you just care about making more money, you should be a B Corp because there's evidence here that shows that if you get the B Corp certification and you thoroughly explain and authentically explain how you've done it and what you've done and some of the good things that you're doing, if you authentically market that to the right stakeholders, i.e. customers, employees, you know, maybe investors and your supply chain, you will see more money in your business. You know, if you nail it, some of the stats on that. Um, so the B Corp movement, as in the numbers of certified companies, grew by 25% last year. So in a global pandemic, the movement has grown by 25%. Some of the businesses within that, this is so this has come from the B. So just to clear something up, there is an organization called B Lab. B Lab is actually, ironically, a nonprofit business that runs the certification program. So there's B Lab North America, there's B Lab uh, Sistema Bay in South America, B Lab Europe. Within B Lab Europe, there's B Lab UK, B Lab France, etc. This region of the world, we have B Lab Australia, New Zealand, based in Melbourne in Australia. So they collect data from all of the B Corps globally and, and put it into their own impact report to see what's going on. So from 2020, 52% of B corporations hired more employees in 2020, and 47% of them experienced employee growth of more than 15%, and two-thirds of all B Corps increased revenue in 2020 in a global pandemic. So if you just care about business resilience and more, pro- and, and some here's some more stats for you on the, on the revenue side. So that the best evidence we've got to date was from uh, the University of Ghent in Belgium. They did a data set study of, U- of certified B Corps in Europe between 2012 and 2018. And they basically have empirically demonstrated that B Corp certification positively impacts turnover growth rates one year post versus one year pre. So one year post certification, all the companies that they had looked at, this is all the European B Corps had all seen a positive uh, growth rate. So if you just care about making money, you should be a B Corp. If you care about anything else in the world, you should be a B Corp. I rest my case. (laughs) This is why I wanted this podcast episode to happen. Not sure our producer was right with me every step of the way that I want to talk about B Corps. I want to talk about B Corps. But (laughs) I... (laughs) And thanks for thanks for letting me run on, Brittany. We have a chat, Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> she supports me right right along. And I know that this is part of this global awakening that we're seeing that I'm calling Absolutely. the gratitude economy. That I'm walking out the door the other day and I needed a piece of plywood. And my and and I said, I'm going to so-and-so, a big box store, I'm gonna get a piece of plywood. And all my kids shout at the same time, and I've got all these millennial kids that were home from college, and they all go, where are you going? And that was so weird. Why did my kids care where I was going? <laughs> and <laughs> I said where I was going, and all the voices in the house yelled, no, at the same time. Wow. I doubled back, like, why can't I go there for a piece of plywood? And then they all gave me a nice stiff lecture about how that particular big box company is doing some really terrible things in the world. And this other one right across the road, it has some very wonderful thing that he's doing in the world. And they wanted me to spend my $42 at the play, they didn't care how much plywood cost. Of course, they were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There was there was no mention of the cost of the plywood. It's just that if you're going to spend your forty two dollars, spend it over here. Yeah, totally. and that seems to be the way they make all their decisions. Totally, and and increasingly, more and more people are making the decision in that way. It, it used to be called LOHAS, lifestyle of health and sustainability, is like a consumer sector that people researchers would refer to. But this is the thing. If we, if you put links to, to notes and stuff in the show notes, there was a report, yeah. you know, from McKinsey and Co. You know, that really well-known left-leaning, tree-hugging group of greenies. They wrote a report, and it came out a few months ago. But basically, COVID has accelerated the growth of conscious consumerism. So they think potentially it's because you know people have been sat at home and they're looking in their cupboard and going, hang on a minute, actually, there is quite a lot of chemicals and all the stuff that I have been buying. Or, okay, actually, I do have a little bit more disposable cash because we're not going to go on holiday this year or we're not going to do this stuff. So maybe we will invest in the slightly more environmentally or socially friendly option because we've got a bit of cash. So where a lot of people thought COVID was going to maybe crash this do-good economy, actually, the opposite seems to have been happening. More and more people. And I think you know when people are thinking of that great resignation or, or they're not happy or content with what they're doing. You know, an easy first step is to buy better. You know, it's like, okay, well, I'm not happy where I'm at, but maybe I can do some good by supporting something that's, you know, it's got a fair trade element to its supply chain or or what have you. So it's definitely here. And this is the thing, like once there's a really great 
cartoon picture I've got. I'll see if I can find it and send it to you. But it's these two Buddhist monks, you know, like deep in, in meditation. And one's kind of opened his eye and, and out of the corner of his mouth, he's saying, hey, have you ever thought about quitting this for a life of mindless consumerism? And, you know, this is the thing. Once you start going on the purpose journey, it's one way. You don't suddenly regress and go, you know, what? actually this doing good and contributing and trying to make the world a better place. Actually, this is really boring. I just feel like burning some plastic for the fun of it. Like once you go down the, this path, it's it's one way street and people are, COVID has led everyone from business leaders to employees, to customers, investors, supply chain. They're all suddenly going, hang on a minute. How can we be slightly better? What you just said is huge. It's absolutely the essence of where we're at. I think a lot of people are both in, you know, you pick up a product, you read the label, you say, I can do better. You think about your job, you, you get yelled at by some middle manager, you go, I can do better. You're sitting around with your friends and they're all saying sort of evil things that you would never want set around your own kitchen table and you go, I can do better. I think the pandemic has allowed us all to pause long enough to oh. say, I can do better. Totally. And it's maybe like perfect timing. Is it, are we going to solve these pro problems quickly enough? That That's typically my, it's, I, I go back to orthopedics. The guy who invented the hip replacement, the modern hip replacement was a guy called Sir John Charnley. And when I was selling my hips and knees in the UK, the, one of the hospitals I was um, looking after as a sales rep was writing to the hospital, which is where he invented this hip. And he always used to say that orthopedics is a race between the patient and the implant as to which one's going to die first. And he said, you know, my job as an orthopedic surgeon is to keep designing a better implant that will outlive the patient. And that's kind of where I feel we're at with the social and environmental stuff. It's like, there's a lot of crises that need fixing. It's it's just, what's the timeline look like? Have we got, a, have we got enough runway to fix these challenges? And I'm in bold and, and inspired that more and more people are pausing. And, and I think this is going to be the big blessing of COVID. I totally get that the, the social impact, the mental health impacts of people being in lockdown and not being able to go and see loved ones and connect. I get all that. I get the, the I mean, my uncle theoretically died of COVID in the UK. He had many comorbidities, but he, he contracted COVID and that clearly accelerated the end of his life. So I get all that. But I think that the positive we have to take out of it, and I'm a positive kind of guy and I always look for the positive side of things. The positive thing is people had time to pause and that's what we've always lacked. We're all on the hamster wheel. We're on the treadmill. We're on the, the you know, the hedonic treadmill, which is, you know, just consume, consume, buy happiness, buy happiness. And that has always been the thing that's been hardest for people to do is actually just to stop and reflect and go, am I on the right path? Am I enjoying this? Do I really care about getting that bigger car and the bigger house? Actually, no, I don't. I actually quite like my house that I've got to sit in now for six months, you know? So it's a massive blessing, I think, ultimately. But the key is coming out of it with this really embedding and baking in this new way of thinking and being, and we don't just all go back to the to the old way. Yeah, I'm not even sure there's some of this goodness and progress and kindness that we we can't unsee it. Exactly that, 100%. Once you've got it, you're like, yeah, that, this is different um, and I like it. Yeah, that's what we're seeing at the Goodness Exchange, is that we've created this landscape where people can not only see absolutely hard evidence of examples of the millions of people in this world that are doing the most extraordinary things to change a future that we're just not hearing about on the news. Most of it newsworthy that we're writing about. So we got to first understand that what we're seeing on the news and the internet, social media is only a tiny slice of reality. Really? And there's this huge other reality that's going on. That's people like you and me and millions and millions and millions of other people who found what they're uniquely built to contribute and they're doing it. They're really? doing it in just, in just small things and big things. It's just so rampant. And so I want to, there's a bunch Sorry. of things I want to refer to so people can tap into this. How do we discover B Corp? How, what's the best way to, how do you shop and all this sort of stuff. Let's take a break and when we come back, let's go into some practical tips so we can help elevate this part of what I'm pretty sure is the gratitude economy of the future. All right, let's take a break. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles and the podcast you're listening to now, the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And I have a question and an answer for you. Have you been hoping the world is actually a lot better than what you see on the news and social media? Well, it is. In fact, it's radically better. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. But on December 1st, 2021, all that changes with the launch of the Goodness Exchange, a digital landscape where you will see that the world is full of goodness and progress, and we will introduce you to the people making it that way. Bottom line, someone is solving every vexing problem in the world 
large and small. And the Goodness Exchange is where people are coming together to amplify a future that includes all that. No one with good intention and good ideas need feel alone again. Here's what you'll find at the Goodness Exchange. There will be articles about the most amazing things going on in the world that are going uncelebrated. There'll be interviews and events that will send your mind and heart soaring again. And a social media platform dedicated to a culture of kindness, insight, and celebration. A way of um, amplifying a brighter future for us all. And that social media platform is a place where organizations doing good in the world will not have to hold their nose anymore. It can be a trustworthy, respectable place for organizations to host their groups and gatherings and connect with each other. A network of positive networks, if you will. The Goodness Exchange will be a place to find mini courses and masterclasses for personal and professional development, and eventually there'll be a jobs board, and we have a children's website already all teed up. The thread running through it all is that goodness um, and progress is everywhere, and we will help people cultivate what they are uniquely built to contribute to this future for us all. Now, imagine a website with no ads, no games, and no agenda, just a simple and powerful vision of combining our collective strengths to create a future we can all celebrate. The Goodness Exchange will open a new era for us all as individuals, because you're going to find stuff that make your life better instantaneously, and as a collective, because we all want a better future for our children. Who knows what's possible if there was a place on the internet that brought out our best impulses and our collective genius. Join us after December 1st at the Goodness Exchange and start living with less fear, more joy as an individual and as a collective future for humanity. Thanks. Now we're back to the interview. Okay, we're back. So Tim, you're deep in this. I'm barely toe in the water. And a lot of people who are listening to this podcast have never heard very much or ever heard the word B Corp. Now, give us some parameters. You've given us the formal definition, but give us some parameters uh, or maybe even some examples of the fundamentals of being in this new class of business that can change our future. Totally. So I guess, so the B Corp framework looks at your business across five main areas. So it looks at your governance structure. It looks at your workers or your employment, uh, I guess, um, structural or or, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Policies. It looks at your community impact. It looks at your environmental impact. And then it looks at your customer model or business model. So some examples of what you are assessed against. So under governance, it's all about ethics and transparency. So do you have a code of ethics? Do you have a whistleblower policy? Um, Is it really easy to work out who owns your business? Or do you have 50 shell companies that end up with some company in the British Virgin Isles that has no office and, you know, that some guy is managing for you? Your workers looks at compensation and professional development opportunities above and beyond what are legally mandated. Your community section is about job creation. It's about diversity. It's about opportunities. So you will score really highly under community if you're providing high quality options for employment, which it kind of comes under workers and, and community, but also in your supply chain. So if you're utilizing small independent suppliers that are owned by minority groups, which and, and, and the minority groups are fairly large in terms of what would be applicable. So it comes through, you know, anyone that you can prove that within the jurisdiction that you're you're you're, you're sort of utilizing or, or working with that supplier, you know, it could be female owned, it could be minority owned, it could be veteran owned, it could be LGBTQ owned, like there's various things around that. Your environment, you're assessed really against your inputs and outputs. So how much water and energy are we using? What are our carbon emissions? And so on and so forth. And then the the customer model looks at your, essentially like what guarantees and warranties and data privacy do you have in in place around how you interact with your customers and how how easy is it to get, is it for for a customer to get hold of you to make a complaint and stuff like that. However, there's actually two parts to the assessment. So all of the stuff I've just talked about is the basic assessment, which essentially is a measure of your operational goodness. So whilst we're making a widget or we are a service company selling whatever the service is that we, that we sell, um, how much good are we creating operationally? So it's, it's very much like nuts and bolts. So under the governance thing, it might be, well, yeah, do we have a code of ethics? Like if we have a, if we have a written policy for that, you're going to get some points awarded. And so 
I should just say the assessment is, is, is basically a point system. So you undertake an initial self-assessment and you can go to beimpactassessment.net. It is completely free to take the assessment and you can change your answers. You can muck around with it. You can do whatever you want to do. It's completely free. And basically the questions are either a straight kind of yes, no answer. It's a pick one of the below, or it's a multi-pick option where you might pick five or 10 options to say we're doing all of this. And depending on how you answer it, you're attributed some points and you need to score 80 out of 200 points to meet the minimum level or threshold for you to apply for certification, which then means you go through an audit process with someone from B-Lab. They go through audit, verify your answers, and that's how you get the independent verification of your score. So the basic assessment is a measure of your operational goodness. However, there is a next level. And I have been referred to as the Pokemon Hunter or the B Corp Whisperer, because above and beyond the operational, there is a thing called an IBM or an impact business model. And this is essentially where you can prove that you have gone out of your way to create a product or a service or do something within your product or service that is creating more positive contribution than you are legally required to do. So one of the great examples is a, a Kiwi company based just down the road from me called Etik. So they sell solid bar beauty products, health and beauty products. So the legal requirement to, to make and sell a shampoo product is you get some chemicals that might have some toxic element to them, but legally you're allowed to mix them together. You put that in a plastic bottle, you top it up with water and you ship it around the world. Well, Brianne thought actually that's not such a great way. I think there's a better way. So her products are all toxic free. They are non-animal uh, tested products. She utilizes some companies or, or small independent suppliers within the South specific here to get hold of like her coconut products. So ethical supply chain, non-toxic product. The product is shipped in a cardboard box, which is 100% recyclable. So she unlocks what's called an impact business model under the environment section because she has gone out of her way to create a product that is going to have a more positive impact on the planet. And that's where the really high scoring B Corps come. So in the US, possibly the most well-known, well, two of the most well-known B Corps would be Ben and & Jerry's and Patagonia. Patagonia is probably one of the longest serving B Corps and certainly historic, well, certainly continually one of the highest scoring. And their whole, a lot of their impact business models will be around the environment. So they're using, um, you know, better source materials, non-toxic materials, having um, resource conservation, so recycling the ability to, to send old kit back and, and have it repaired and what have you. So when I work with companies, it's partly trying to help them understand if they potentially have an impact business model, because it's not always obvious that you, that you actually have one. And if they don't have one, helping them work out, I, I call it truffle hunting. Like, look, there's a, there's a little glimmer here of you, you're kind of almost at an impact business model. If you just actually make this a bit more formal or you just do this, then next time you certify, you will definitely have an impact business model. And again, it's like this contagion of purpose. Like once people start seeing how much good we're doing, like we want to keep doing more of it. And I just finished working with a company here in New Zealand called Genora and they sell collagen-based health and beauty products. And we had the whole team working with me to go through the assessment. And as literally, we just go through question by question and I guide people through and help them understand how they could better answer each question. And the engagement and the buy-in and the just level of almost awe that the employees now had for the company as they realized actually how good, how great they were and how much good they were doing that they just hadn't recognized. And just on that really quickly, you were talking about like how the media doesn't pick on stuff. Part of the problem with, with people doing good is that generally they are very humble people and they don't actually like to talk about the good that they're doing because for them, it's just, well, that's just what we should all be doing. So what I'm doing actually, I don't think is that special. So if you're doing good, please tell more people about it because we need more good news stories. And the the other part to that, there's a guy called Rutger Bregman who has written a book called Humankind. I think it's his latest book, but he had a, he's got another book. And, and the other thing to bear in mind is when you're listening to the media, you know, someone was murdered today. He's like, that's cool. But what you got to remember is that means that in the US, maybe 349 million other people weren't murdered. So it's like, actually, when you flip the context, it's not as bad as, you, as it's being made out to be. Well, this is the essence of my message about to people about tuning out the news. People think that that's that when they say, oh, I've completely turned off the news, they assume that because we are pointing to all the good things happening in the world that I'm going to think that's a good strategy. And I actually don't because I think ignorance is never a good strategy. <laughs> You know, you can't guide your teenagers, right? If you don't know a darn thing about the world, you can't do anything. You can't yep. make business decisions. So what I tell people about the news is essentially just a slightly different version of what you do. I just say it really simply. 
it's news because it is so rare. Yeah, it happens, yeah, yeah. It's all the time. They wouldn't that's the it. definition of news, <laughs> okay. yeah, right? Yeah. It's very, very <laughs> rare. So it is news. So the problem that happens, since we're on that, that I always like to remind people is about there's a part of our brain that really does one giant leap to keep us yeah, safe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was good 40,000 years ago when there yeah. were different oh, tigers. Yeah. But our brain yeah. makes this leap that the more we hear about something, the more we think it's right outside that door right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So the 24-hour news cycle or social media talks all day long about this one crazy person who did something insane somewhere. And, they, and then we start to think that person is right outside that door. Exactly that. Yeah. It's going to happen to me. <laughs> Yeah. Right. I just cancel people if we're on that, that topic for a second to just remember <laughs> that <laughs> it's the news because it never happens. It rarely ever happens. And then we can like simmer down, go up to the higher critical thinking part of yeah. our brain and say, oh, and they're just trying to get me to buy beer and soap. <laughs> <laughs> and probably not a B Corp beer or soap either. And they're probably so, not, they're yeah. not advertising a B Corp yet, right? Yes, exactly. That, it's back that's to come. What you and I is to get the word about B Corps. Okay, so let's get practical right there. And I agree about the humble thing. I'm always telling thought leaders to, when they come on this podcast, to don't hesitate to tell us about all the goodness that you're doing in the world. Because, you know, those other guys creating so much chaos, they're sure shouting as loud as. <laughs> exactly that. Right? Exactly that. So let's let's tease apart two things that I think are really important that I didn't understand nearly enough. And I'm not sure most people do. I've got two kids in my family now that are engineers. And so I suddenly learned about the world of supply chain. <laughs> I think it's, it's a word I had heard those two words put together, but I'd never really thought about it yep. until we uh, we wrote an article about this a wonderful school in Haiti. Called, it's called the Haitian Project. And the founder of this project has this amazing educational model that could be transported all over the world. And, you know, Haiti has, has, has a problem that, that only 12% of their population has an education above high school. Mm. So, And then all the people that go further, they go to the United States or somewhere and never come back. Yep. So he tells this great thing about the supply chain. He goes, he tells about how this, this really well-meaning nonprofit came to Haiti, looked at all the bare hillsides. You know how they're famous for their deforestation. Mm. and all the mudslides. And they immediately, with good intention, planted a million trees. Wow. And they never stopped to ask why people were cutting down the trees in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. And he, told, he told me why. It's because 92% of the women in that culture are still cooking over charcoal to boil the water so their kids can have safe drinking water. 92%. Yeah. And they literally make charcoal in the streets in every neighborhood. They're burning yeah. anything as big as your wrist and making it into charcoal. So as soon as those million trees got to be the size of your wrist, they were going to get cut Gone. down. Yep. And so he made the point that even in problem solving, if we look further enough, far enough back in the supply chain that supplied that problem, the deforestation, we will find the place to apply the pressure. 100%. And of course, his rationale was, hey, if we educated a whole bunch more people, then 92% of women wouldn't be cooking with charcoal. Yep. So tell yeah, me about totally how supply chain works in the B Corp world. Supply chain, I guess, yeah, there's a couple of couple of parts to it. So supply chain in that sense of like where where uh, like where's the problem occurring from is one part of it, but there's also actually just your physical supply chain. You know, so if you're a manufacturer or a retailer, you are buying stuff from people and and having that line of sight as to well where's that ultimately coming from and how ethical. Which is two parts of it. There's that part of it, like looking at my own supply chain. Actually, how ethical and transparent and environmentally impactful is it? That's increasingly becoming a thing. But you're also getting supply chains. Like I've just started working with a company here in New Zealand. They got connected in with me. Their biggest customer had sent an email to all their suppliers saying, hey, we're working hard to understand our own social and environmental impact. And as part of that, we want to have some idea of what's happening in our supply chain. So could you please report back to us what you're doing? And they're a relatively, I guess, medium-sized family-owned business here in New Zealand. And they're like, where do we start? And I said, well, have you heard of B Corp? And they're like, nope. And I said, well, look, have a quick look at it. Let me know. And they came back and said, yep, we want in. Like, cool. It's like, this will be on a silver platter. You'll be able to hand it back to your customer and go, there you go. Like, this is all we're doing. So there's that pressure is definitely happening. So one of the biggest B corporations in this region is a company called Sinlay based here in Christchurch. They sell or manufacture, sell, export, basically breast milk substitute is their main product. So milk powder made into baby formula. And the main reason that they got put onto B Corp was because Danone, one of the world's largest businesses, 
was going through and certifying each of its global business units. So they were at a Danone conference and they had the big unveiling, hey, Danone is committed to becoming a B Corp across all its global business units. And one of the team from Sinlay was there and they were like, cool, so this B Corp stuff, should we be looking at that? And they were like, yeah, it'd probably be a smart move if you want to stay in our supply chain that you'd get onto that. So the main driver for them came from a customer saying, we're going on this journey. So you're definitely seeing that happening more and more and more. And it's when B Corps start going through the process, it's like, you know, they then start being asked questions about their supply chain. So you you can become the tail wagging the dog potentially, you know, of your own supply chain. So yeah, this, this is why I'm just super confident we're, we're, we're at this point now. It's, a couple of people here have called it the B Corp moment, or one guy in particular, he's an economist, Bernard Hickey. I did an interview with him and he said, it's kind of like the B Corp moment. It's like, it's time has come and it's about to, you know, it's it's a new virus, hopefully that's going to take over a new pandemic, but a purpose pandemic that's just going to spread as, as this starts happening. But on the other thing you were talking about, like with the, in Haiti, it's so true. And, and this is where, this is for me, is, is this juxtaposition between profit driven business and charitable enterprises. It's like, are you actually solving the problem as a charity or are are you just a Band-Aid on a broken leg here? And having say this, I've spent time working in the not-for-profit sector. I've spent two or three years working directly and then working as an advisor and consultant to, to not-for-profits. There is a massive codependency issue with a lot of not-for-profits where they need the person to still be sick forever so that they can feel good that I'm, I'm here patting you on the back and making you feel better. But actually, I don't want you to get fully better because otherwise I won't have anything to do. And that for me is the exciting part about B Corporation. Like for me, in five years time, if I'm still doing podcast interviews and having to talk to people about what B Corp is and helping them certify, I failed. Like in five years time, I don't want to be helping companies become a B Corp because I want it to be legally mandated that if you're a business, you just have to be a B Corp and it's it's easily done. So I think this is the really interesting thing. Yeah. It's like understanding the problems that you're trying to solve, but making sure you're solving the right problem because otherwise you're going in reverse in sixth gear. And mm. it's in, in the B Corp world or in the impact measurement world, it's called unintended consequences. You know, one of the great examples is if I said to you, Linda, hey, look, here's $10 million. I want you to go and fix the education crisis in sub-Saharan Africa. Where would you logically spend the money? Like what would you, what would be the first thing you'd put the money in? Well, that, you know, you, you want to, as that Haitian guy said, your impulse is to fix those hills that are denuded of trees. So it's like, let's um, build some schools or let's get some buses and let's make some yeah. roads. But actually the thing that stops most kids getting to school is intestinal worms. So actually where you want to spend your money is intestinal worm pills. So the risk is you go in there, you build these schools, you build the roads, you maybe give them laptops and computers and you educate more teachers. So your um, environmental impact is massive. You've got carbon footprints gone massively up. You, you maybe build all these schools and, and buses and, and roads that people aren't using because they're still stuck at home sick. And so that's a really, really key part of it. And, and sometimes the obvious solution is not actually the right solution to fixing the problem. So but it can, it's also, it's a bit of a journey. And sometimes get, just getting into the mindset of let's try and fix this. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes, but Hey, at least now we know, but yes, yeah, certainly try and research the problem that you think. And this comes back to the purpose piece. You know, ultimately this is what we're seeing is this increasing rise of business owners recognizing that, you know, I mean, one of my favorite completely benign products, it's cool. I can't remember the name of it, but it's a dog phone selfie attachment. So it's, it's a piece of plastic that you can stick on top of your phone. It holds a tennis ball so that it makes it easier for you to take a selfie with your dog. I mean, peak humanity, take me now. The world is complete. I don't need anything else. It's like, you know, someone designed it, someone marketed it, someone's made like, really? Did none of you at any point just go, actually, does the world need this? And, and I think this is where business owners and leaders and employees, like everyone's getting to this point to go, actually, do you know what? We could we could re-roll what we do here and we could actually maybe try and solve that problem. And what a crazy idea. We'd all feel better for it. That is at the so sort of the quintessential beginning of how I understand this kind of business evolves is that you recognize that there's a problem that no one is solving. Totally. Which is what business has always done. You know, the, the reason for business existing in the first place is, hey, there's an opportunity opportunity here to fix a problem or to help people get something better or more quickly than they're currently getting. So and th- this is why I, I don't think government, like government clearly doesn't solve that many problems. You know, they pander to, particularly in the US, there was a really disturbing, I think it was in the Washington Post. Is that the, the title the Washington Post? Making sure I get that correct. A guy did a, a review of, I guess, you know, political initiatives that have been undertaken by the, the various governing
polling parties versus business interests. And basically, he he proved that your vote does not count. What counts is how much money is coming from business, and that's what dictates policy. And But equally, this is the really exciting thing, because if we get business to step up and be better, they will demand better politicians, which will lead to better policy, which will lead to better outcomes. So it's like this, this circle, I guess, like this positive feedback loop that if we get better business, that's being driven by customers and employees demanding business does better, which means business have to be better, which means government has to be better, which means people will then vote in better politicians, which means we get better. You know, it's kind of like, it's all, all mixed in. Well, you know, it doesn't it come down to what we're optimizing for? Basically, bottom line, when you invent the business, you say, I'm starting out, I'm going to do business. Yep. And then you optimize for profit or you optimize for a profit within a a certain level of impact that you're having. Totally. Impact, totally. Positive and, and this, impact. Totally. And, th- and this is this is the big mindset shift that, that needs to occur in business is, and, and again, I think COVID has really driven this, like, particularly in some countries like New Zealand, the UK, and maybe like Australia, some of the countries where we're maybe a bit more socially democratic. So here, when the first lockdown, we went into lockdown, whenever it was, 2020, essentially the government said, you as a business, you can only operate if you are basically declared an essential business. Okay, this is this is interesting. So the banks piped up and said, well, we're a central business. And the government said, no, you're not. And um, one of our big box retailers said, well, we're an essential business. Mm, no, you're not. Okay, well, this is interesting. So if you're not essential to humanity, why are you here? And I think that is the question. You, as a business owner, you need to ask yourself, how do we support humanity being better and the planet being better? Because if you're selling dog phone selfie attachments, I can tell you, you're not really making a dent in the universe. You know, the creative genius that you've got there to invent this product, like what if you could do that to solve that crisis in Haiti? Like pick something that is worth getting out of bed for and that's inspiring. And, and that's one of the big things is your metric has to not be money anymore. This is a question I love asking CEOs. You have the, you're the, you're the Dow Jones, isn't it? Yeah. Is your index. Cool. So can you name the company that was number three on the Dow Jones in, or no, what's your, what's your other, you have the Fortune 500, isn't it? Yes. Or the Fortune 100. So, sorry. Yeah. So Fortune 100, what company was ranked number three in March, 2013 on the Fortune 100? No one knows and no one cares. Yet the metric we're all chasing as business owners is the number. There's like no one other than you and your shareholders actually care about it. And increasingly, your shareholders don't care about it either because they want to see you doing more good. So, but it's ironic because when you get back to, if you, if you think about, so my degree is in medieval history, go figure. When you look back at the beginnings of society and you look at some people's names, you know, like Shoemaker or Schumacher, Cooper, Fletcher, we have people's names that are designated from the thing that they did to help the community survive. And that is the origins of business is, okay, well, someone needs to make the barrels that can store the produce so that we survive. That's an essential business. Someone needs to make the shoes so that we can walk around and not have frostbite and have thorns and stones in our feet. Someone needs to make the arrows so that we can go hunting and go and get some food. The essence of trade at the very beginning was us all trading for our shared survival and benefit. But we've had this explosion of just essentially bullshit business that is marketing and and money driven. It's like, yeah, have at it. But you're not if you're not essential to humans humanity humanity's long term existence. You got to start asking yourself, well, how long have we got? Isn't that the ethos that uh, maybe uh, you can just free fully disagree with me, but I think there's an ethos in consumerism that's definitely changing. I'll give you an example. Like all my years growing up, if somebody said, oh, it was such a good deal. When somebody talked about a good deal, they meant that you got more for less. Essentially, that's it. If you said that Friday night special at the restaurant was such a good deal, that means you got a pile of mountain of food this big for $7.99. Whatever it is, you got more of something for less money. But what I see with the generation of millennials and Gen Zers is that a good deal to them is completely different from that. Completely. To my kids, a good deal is I'm going to have to spend $400 on eyeglasses. I might as well find a company where I'm going to spend that $400 and they're going to give a good deal is giving a pair to a person in need with my $400. 100%. And, and also maybe that pair of glasses will last me 20 years and I won't need to buy a new pair next year. And, and I think also the whole kind of fashion side of things, you know, fast fashion, all that increasingly people are kind of going, actually, so what? I don't really need to have a slightly different taper on my trouser leg this year. I can probably just keep the same ones. Mm-hmm. So we definitely, and this is the thing, there's all these little bits that are coming together that are, the general trend is, I think you're right. It, it used to be try and get more from less, but now it's actually just get less from less. And when you look at, you know, earth overshoot and, and how much we, we consume, we have to get to a point of 
actually having less with less. And the, the irony is we'll be better off for it mentally and, oh. and societally. There's a really cool guy, um, Dr. Tim Kasser. He's a, I think he's a psychologist. He's basically done all the research on this. And he basically demonstrated that chasing materiality, material wealth is guaranteed to make you more unhappy. But the modern business capital, consumer capitalist system that we're in, is the complete opposite. It's like, no, you will only be happy if you consume and buy the new thing. And but but I think again, like when you look at Apple, have just announced that you know they're making their products that can be repaired now. So you know, if the cat if the if the camera bit breaks, we'll just replace it. Okay, well that's interesting. You know, we're at a tipping point. All right. So let's turn the the remainder of our conversation to how we all fit into this new ethos about business, because I think it's already happening. I'm interviewing yep. the wonderful thought leader soon, Ryan Hafey, who has one of the fastest growing companies in the United States. He's, he's 35 year old. And he talked to me all about his quandary with hiring because mm-hmm. he wants to hire people who already share the values of his company. He's putting the company's values right out there for everyone to see. And he doesn't want to do this trial and error dance with people where he gets a bunch of uncommitted people who looked good on their resume, but really they're just going to come and go or they don't have the company ethos. So I really think there's this, you've already mentioned it several minutes ago in this interview. Talk to me about how the B Corp ethos fits this new worker that wants to have meaningful work that takes their their what they're uniquely built to contribute and helps them feel like they live it every day. Totally. I mean, th- there is some some actual evidence. This is from a, a journal in the UK called The Grocer, and this was from 2018. So they, they surveyed the 150 UK B corporations in the UK at the time. And the main thing, that again, back to the growth argument. So the, the average growth rate for those B corps was 14% compared to 0.5% GDP. But a third of them had also said that they'd attracted new customers specifically because they were a B Corp. But almost half of them said that new employees had been attracted to them specifically because they were a B Corp. It is a lightning rod. It is a the Batman symbol, like being lit up into the New York skyline. You know, it is it is a beacon for people that share your values to know, look, I know that you are you must be doing some good because you're a B Corp. I've had multiple instances of B Corps that I know here in New Zealand where people have written if I mean including myself, I've got two part-time contractors working for me. They both reached out to me and said, I just love what you do. I want to do what you do one day. Could I have a conversation with you? And I ended up, I was getting really busy and I said, well, look, actually, why don't you just come and do some work for me? And they are, you know, they bleed the same values and thoughts that that I have. And you wouldn't get, it's, you don't get that level of commitment. You know, again, if, if, you, if you're just looking at it from the ROI, the commitment and level of passion that a purpose-driven values-connected worker will bring you is over and above and beyond what just, you know, hiring and firing in the normal way will give you. So it is absolutely a beacon, a lightning rod for, for finding the right people that want to share your visions and, and values. Well, I'll tell you, I thank you so much today for getting us fired up about all that's possible. Where can people connect with you more if they're more curious to, for their own businesses or for their employers or what have you? Tell us how we can best connect with you. Totally. So my website is growgood.co. So growgood.co. I'm always open to a connection on LinkedIn. I'm happy to share. I've got like an ebook that I'm happy to, to get out to you your listeners called, um, it's called to be or not to be the what, why, and how of B Corp certification. And it, it's basically, it covers off a lot of what we talked about today, but it's got some of those data points. It's got some, some clues and ideas, but you know, th- I think my biggest take home message would be just go and have a look at the assessment. It's free to do that. And you will learn something. You will find something about your business that you could make some small changes in straight away, even if it means that you can't quite become a B Corp on day one because you're not maybe ready for it. But just start having a look and, and have a go at it. Like, cause if, was it, I don't know if you're a Warren Miller fan, you know, the Warren Miller movies. What was his great expression? If you don't do it this year, you'll be one year older when you do. It's like, if you don't become a B Corp this year, your 10 competitors will be by the time you do. So uh, that is such <laughs> a great point to land on. We will all get there. So thank you so much, Tim jones for talking to us about this important subject in just a short while we're all going to know more and more about it but anybody who heard it here is going to have a lot more self-awareness about what they're contributing to in the world everything that tim mentions is going to be in the show notes so so don't worry about that we're going to make sure this is loud and clear sort of stuff thank you so much and i hope you will join us again for another conversation in this and we can talk about all the progress Awesome. And thank you for the opportunity to come and talk big or love it. Okay, love what, well, I love what you're doing too. Well, ho- 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 hopefully, Brittany's, hopefully Brittany's convinced now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be the acid test. 
Okay. Well, have a great day. Thank you for joining the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And we hope you take everything that Tim and I talked about today and start finding that same kind of joy and wonder out in the world all around you. Have a great day. 